Welcome to the Perfume Making Podcast with me, Karen Gilbert. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about how perfume is actually made and what really goes into it. Now, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in the fragrance industry and often the process of perfume making itself and the ingredients that you'll find inside your bottle of perfume are somewhat of a mystery. So in today's episode, my aim is to demystify that for you so that you can either start to create your own fragrances and know what it is you need to buy, or if you just want to be a bit more knowledgeable about what you're choosing when you buy a perfume off the shelf, this is going to help you too. So let's do a little bit of a history of perfume to start with, as perfumes how they're made today and how they were made maybe a hundred years ago, 300 years ago to a millennia ago, if you like, are quite different. So I think what I want to do is let's start off by dialing it right back. And I will do a little bit of a brief potted history of perfume, where it started and bring it right up to date today. So obviously there's been such a huge amount written on the history of perfume and it's going to take, you know, it's like there are books, volumes and volumes of books on that topic already. There are also like amazing podcasts and videos on YouTube talking about fragrance history. Um, So we are not going to go into a huge amount of depth. Um, but if you search back through ancient text and historical manuscripts, you're going to discover a common thread that aromatic substances or primitive forms of perfume, if you like, were valuable as both a religious and a healing tool. So if we go right back to antiquity, religion obviously played a huge part in the lives of these ancient civilizations and the burning of aromatic materials, either in the form of incense or anointing the body with perfumed oils was thought to be pleasing to and bring the wearer or bearer in a closer communion with the gods. So really fragrance, perfume, scented oils were burned on fires in the form of incense. They were thrown on coals. So you would have resins, you would have herbs, sweet grasses, woods, any kind of aromatics were thrown onto fires and over coals and that scented smoke would rise up to the heavens. They were also macerated in animal fats to create these scented oils and unguents that were worn on the body. And there are many depictions of this process in hieroglyphs in the tombs of ancient Egypt. And actually thinking back to the the word perfume itself, it comes from the Latin perfumum, which means through smoke. So that's kind of where it all started. And then if we jump all you know, there's a lot more to that, obviously, that we don't have time to go into today. But we're going to do a massive great hop forward to um, the production of scented materials in grass. And so this is where we sometimes think of the fragrance industry being born. And really, it was the tanneries. So the leather production facilities in grass that played a huge role in the development of the fragrance industry. So I'll go into that in more depth in a future episode. But it wasn't really until the late 1800s that what we know as modern perfumery today really came to be. So even at that time, 
So talking about like the 1800s, and obviously I know that I've missed a huge chunk out of fragrance history, but you know, if you want me to, I can cover that in future episodes. So just let me know um, by dropping me an email to podcast at karengilbert.co.uk if you want me to talk a little bit more about fragrance history. But let's keep keep with it for now because um, I really want to delve into the actual ingredients that go into fragrances. So a little bit of a bit of a jump around, I know, but we're jumping all the way forward um, to the late 1800s. So really, this is like what we call the birth of modern perfumery. So even at that time, um, perfumes were really made quite simply, actually, of mixtures of essential oils. And we'll go into the production of those in a moment in alcohol, um, which formed a huge proportion of the fragrance itself. So in the form of tinctures as well. So resins and balsams, things like benzoin and myrrh and tinctures of animal products such as musk and ambergris were used as fixatives. A tincture is where, I'll, I'll talk about that in a little bit more detail in a minute. So a tincture is basically an alcohol maceration of a particular material. So you might, they might have used benzoin, which is a resin macerated in alcohol, and then that would form the base of the perfume instead of the plain perfumer's alcohol that we use today. So you can do that with an, well, in the old days, it would have been um, natural musk, which we don't use today. And ambergris, I'll talk a little bit more about those in a moment. But also um, floral absolutes were used. And I'm, if I'm using some terminology here that you are not familiar with, do not fear. I will be explaining that as we go through this episode. So floral extracts were used along with newly discovered synthetics, such as things like vanillin, coumarin, materials such as methyl ionone. So these materials were really newly discovered by and synthesized by the chemists at the time. And so uh, fragrances like Shalimar are really good representation of this kind of style of, of perfume making. And so as the discovery and development of more synthetic materials increased, they began to play a much bigger role in perfumery, providing often the main inspiration for new fragrance types. And because at this time, synthetic materials were being standardized, it allowed the perfumers of the time to methodically study this synergy between materials and then continue to develop fragrances that not only smelt good, but they also performed well in use in different fragrance types, such as soap. And the perfumer Jean Carles is generally associated with this technique. So what we actually think of sometimes as or how perfume used to be in the old days really is not true because the fragrance industry didn't really come to be. Modern perfumery didn't really come to be until the synthesis of synthetic materials. The usage of naturals blended with synthetics is really where it all started. And we often think, and we often hear actually that, oh, you know, all perfumes used to be natural, but really you have to go a really, really long way back for that to be the case. So when we talk about modern perfumes, it's always in the context of this balance of some naturals and synthetics. And I will, you know, I'll talk about about how they are today and then how actually it's almost like we've done a little bit of a full circle in some senses. So let's go back to Jean Carles because he was a very, very influential perfumer. He was credited as 
you know, being one of the first perfumers who actually set up a perfume school and a series of experiments and studies for new perfumers. And I will talk about that in future episodes. But for now, let's let's talk about the types of perfumes that he constructed, because I think for those of you who have done some perfume learning before, you might be familiar with Jean Carles and the Jean Carles method of fragrance construction. But some of you might not. So I'm going to do a little bit of a recap for you on that. So his perfumes generally were constructed around this kind of perfume pyramid type of construction that we often see even today in modern fragrance descriptions. So it was a carefully selected accord of a blend of materials formulated around what we would call a base note. So the base of a fragrance, which would include materials of a low volatility. So materials that don't evaporate very, very quickly. And I'll be talking about top, middle and base notes in a future episode. So don't worry for now about that. This is more to give you a very general idea of how fragrances are created. And then on top of that base note, they would modi- he would modify the base note because he thought felt that, you know, the base notes, they had longevity and they were the structure of a fragrance, but they didn't smell very pleasant. Now, I would agree to disagree there because I love a lot of the materials that go into the base notes of a perfume. But so he would create this mid note or this heart accord or this modifying note. Um, to add on top of the base. And this was using materials of what he called a medium volatility. So materials that weren't as, didn't have as much longevity as the base note. So they evaporated a bit more quickly, but they still had a bit of a lasting effect. And then on top of that, he would modify again with the most volatile materials. So the top notes, if you like. So the citruses, the herbs, the spices. So the things that would give lift to the fragrance. And so if you look back at some historical fragrance types that he created, so Le Du Tomp um, by Nina Rishi is, is a very good um, example of this type of fragrance construction and Magrif as well is another fragrance that he created. So they're really good examples of this type of fragrance that w- was kind of a bit of a move on from the very simplistic mixtures of essential oils, absolutes, tinctures into something that resembles more of a, a modern perfume that we know today. Um, so really, when you smell a vintage type of a perfume that goes back to the maybe like the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, they would have been created in this kind of style. Now, over the years, there's been a gradual move away from the traditional fragrance structure of this pyramid, this top mid base note formulation. And this is a form that really started in the 90s. And perfumer Sophia Grossman, who um, was a perfumer who is, I think, still today, actually, a um, very well-known perfumer working for one of the big fragrance houses, IFF. She's usually credited with making this type of a structure popular with her perfume Trezor, which was a fragrance she created for Lancôme. Now, often these types of fragrances are called the monolithic fragrances of the 90s. And this is really where um, fragrances started to change from this old vintage style through to the kind of modern fragrance that we started to see in the 90s and 2000s. Now, sometimes you hear these called linear perfumes. 
Um, but basically what it means is that a large percentage of these types of fragrance um, are based on a very, very simple structure. So Trezor, for example, is based on a formulation which the largest percentage of it, often it's it's quoted as like 80% of the fragrance. Now, one of the things about perfume, the fragrance industry is it's very secretive. So nobody will ever tell you the exact formulation of a fragrance like this because it's very, very secretive. But, you know, if you look in a lot of the perfume books, you'll see this 80% figure banded around and you can kind of like pull together um, this blend um, that is said to be the base of Trezor, which really is based around four materials. Now, these four materials are hedione, methyl ionone, isoe super and galaxolide. So I'll go into this a little bit more in future episodes where we dig more into fragrance families and I can talk about individual perfumes. But the reason that this is quite important is these materials perform in a very different way to naturals and a lot of synthetics, so a lot of aromachemicals. So they perform in a more linear way. And so when you blend these materials together, so hedione is a transparent sort of jasmine citrus type note. Methyl ionone is a woody violet. Isoe super is like a transparent woody note. And galaxolide is what we would call a clean white musk or a laundry musk. Um, these materials, they don't smell very much when they're blended together. Um, but what they do is they create a structure for the main character of the perfume to sit on. And what this does is it helps the fragrance to, to remain unchanged throughout the life of the fragrance on skin. So it makes the fragrance last longer. Um, it also makes the fragrance quite immediate. So whereas the old style of fragrance in this pyramid kind of vintage style would move and change on skin, um, these types of linear fragrances that you find more often today don't do that so much. And so what would be added to this, this base, like the remaining kind of like percentage, if you like, is a number of other materials. So they could include naturals, they can include perfumers bases, which add complexity and richness to the character of the fragrance. So this is really um, where the, the heart of the fragrance would be. So in the case of Trezor, for example, you've got this um, rosy, woody, vanilla, peachy um, toned fragrance that actually, if you if you smelt the, the, the like these four materials blended together in this base, the majority of the perfume formulation wouldn't smell anything like Trezor. But it's not until this this small amount of like really high impact materials are added to it that creates the character. So this is really more how commercial fragrances are made today. What you will find, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, is that You've got lots of different types of fragrance now from naturals, 100% natural perfumes to commercial fragrances to indie to artisan to niche fragrances. And there are so many different combinations. There's not one way. And actually, a lot of the niche fragrances um, or even artisan fragrances, I'd probably say, um, tend to be a little bit more. And this is not always the case. So kind of <laughs> everything depends. Right. Um, and there are always going to be anomalies. But what we're finding actually is that a lot of the natural fragrances and a lot of the artisan perfumers are going back to this more traditional vintage, um, more maximalist, if you like 
like um, pyramid style of making perfume. And as we get into a bit more of the how to's through this podcast, um, I'll explain that in a little bit more depth. So what actually goes into a perfume nowadays? So it really does depend, as I said before, on the type of fragrance that you want to create, as there's such a huge variety available. So you've got your mainstream commercial perfumes. So they would be really a combination of mainly synthetic aroma chemicals with a smaller percentage of naturals. Now, the naturals are there to create depth and richness. And the aroma chemicals are there to create structure quite often. You've also got your more high end niche fragrances that often, not always, but often incorporate more in the way of high quality natural materials alongside the aroma chemicals. So the balance might be slightly different. You've also got artisan perfumes. So an artisan perfume is what I would call um, a fragrance that has been created by an independent perfumer who is really hands on, who creates the perfume and actually, you know, blends it, macerates it and does all the bottling and labeling themselves. You, we see a lot more of that nowadays. And many of those artisan fragrance um, creators are using mainly natural materials. Not all. Again, there's always going to be a variety depending on the fragrance brand. But some, many of them are using a higher percentage of natural materials with a small percentage of both natural and synthetic aroma chemicals to add special effects. So what I want to really illustrate here is that there's not one way or the other to make perfume. There are many, many different ways. And that goes right the way through to 100% natural perfumes that could often also be certified organic. So yes, you can have aromatherapy blends that are very simplistic, but you can also find 100% natural perfumes created using really old methods. So using tinctures, using their own macerated oils, maybe essential oils, absolutes, um, yeah, so the whole the whole range really. So as you can see, it really does depend and there is not one way to make perfume. And I just want to make that really clear. And there is a lot of talk in the fragrance industry or it's like you've got to make it this way and this is this is the way that perfume's made and that way's wrong. I just want to just say state like right at the very beginning um of this podcast that I don't believe that any one way is right. You know, I might talk about ways of making perfume in, in these episodes and you might disagree with me and that's fine. You might have seen somebody else on a YouTube video, for example, say, oh, you make it this way. As I've said before, you know, you ask 10 different perfumers how to make a perfume and they're going to give you 10 different answers. So I can only share from my experience of working in the fragrance industry and teaching for the last, what, 10, 12 years. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that has demystified a little bit of that for you. And this will set you on the way to making your own fragrances if you want to. So let's talk about 
um, the bases of a perfume. So that was that's kind of like the scented bit, I suppose. Now, and then I'll dig into some of the details. So the base of a perfume can vary as well. So perfume as alcohol is, so, so I say perfume as alcohol. Perfume as alcohol isn't really a thing. It's, it's a, a term that has been coined um, over the years on, on the internet. But what it would normally have been called is denatured ethanol, but I'll talk about that in a bit more depth, depth in a moment. So the base can really vary. So the main type of base that you will find in a commercial perfume is denatured ethanol. So it's a cosmetic grade denatured alcohol. So that's the most common base that you'll find. But if you want to create a fragrance that is alcohol free, what you will find is natural oils used as a base instead or silicones. So I'll talk about those in a moment. So those so often silicones are used in like a dry oil spray or used for um, either what is called an oil based perfume or just an alcohol free perfume. So there are lots of different materials that you can use as a base. Alcohol is not the the only one. Obviously, you can have solid perfumes as well. So that solid perfume would be a, a blend of oils and waxes. There have also been a few water-based perfumes launched, but water bases are quite a difficult medium to work with as when you think about it, like, so fragrance materials are non-soluble in water generally. And so th those materials, the scented materials and water don't really mix very easily. And so you would either need something to, to blend those together, which is called a solubilizer, which is a little bit tricky to use because you've got there's only a certain amount that you can use in a base before it starts to go sticky and unstable. Um, generally speaking, you want your fragrance materials and your base to mix without it going cloudy, without it separating. And that's so water and um, fragrance material that they're not really a very happy medium to work easily in. But I have seen a lot of some, not a lot, a couple of companies were using a an industrial process to really kind of like blend these fragrances into a water base. So that we have seen a few water-based fragrances of a much higher um, strength than the, the general kind of aromatherapy spray be launched in the last few years. But generally speaking, it, it's a tricky medium to work with. And yeah, so so really what we're looking at when we look at a perfume in a bottle, generally speaking, you uh, an alcohol based perfume will consist of the scented bit so there's the fragrance materials and that can be anything from a couple of percent so like 4 or 5% all the way through to say 20 25% of the finished article depending on the strength of the fragrance um plus this um perfumer's alcohol or cosmetic grade denatured ethanol and you would then also see a small amount of distilled water. So it would you, when you look at a perfume label, you would probably see alcohol denat as the biggest percentage. Then you would see aqua. So that is as a distilled or deionized water. And then you would see parfum. And so the parfum bit is your fragrance materials. You might also see um, a couple of other materials in there. So an antioxidant, maybe you would have some color in there. So I'm thinking of perfumes like Angel that are colored blue. Now that obviously doesn't come from the materials. The company who manufacture Angel have put a color in there to make that blue. Um, and also you might have a UV filter in there. So an antioxidant really is there to help preserve the fragrance from 
oxidation. So if you've got fragrances with materials such as citrus notes or aldehydes, they can go, they can oxidize, which means that when the oxygen gets to them, they can, they can go, go off a bit. Um, UV filters to protect the fragrance from discoloration if it's exposed to light. You might also see some of those things in your perfumes as well. And then on the label, you might see some other like materials that you might think are added to your perfume. But actually, and I will go into this in a little bit more depth um, in another episode, um, you'll see things like linalol, geraniol, uh, citronella and what they are they're not materials that are added into your perfume they are things that legally have to be listed on the label that are considered allergens and that can be in naturals especially in natural perfumes actually you see a lot more allergens um, but you'll often see it on most commercial fragrances as well Okay, so what goes into the perfumed bit? So you've got your naturals and you've got your synthetics. So natural materials. So what kinds of materials come under the term natural? So obviously you've got your essential oils and essential oils generally are things that are derived from natural materials. So you've got, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's roots, maybe it's some flowers, it's herbs, you know, things like your lavender, your vetiver, uh, rose otto, um, ylang ylang, etc., that have been distilled. So either they would have been distilled using steam or in the situations like clove, for example. So you might have some materials that are a little bit harder to extract using steam. So they would actually be water distilled. Um, citrus oils. So Sometimes you do have um, citrus oils that come from distillation, but they the majority of citrus oils that are used in fragrance are produced by something called expression. And this is where the peel of the citrus fruit, which contains tiny little oil sacs, it's mechanically expressed by rupturing these sacs with little spikes and separating the oil from any juice present. Now, citrus oils have got a fairly short shelf life and they are prone to oxidation. So damage through um, contact with oxygen. So they should be stored away from any heat or light and you want to use them up quite quickly. Sometimes citrus oils can be rectified or modified to create a more stable product for using fragrance, as well as removing any problematic components. So steam or water distillation is used to extract the volatile components of a plant. So another type of natural material that's often used in perfume is what's called an isolate. So as well as um, distilling a plant material to create a whole essential oil, there is a process called fractional distillation. And that is a way of extracting some of the components out of the whole oil to use as a material in its own right. So an isolate. So for example, we were talking about clove before. So there is a material that naturally occurs in clove that actually makes it smell like clove, which is called eugenol. So actually, if you distilled clove using a fractional column, you could pull the eugenol component out and that could be used on its own. Now, sometimes we use isolates because we don't want the smell of the whole oil. We just want a tiny component of it. Now, one of the things that I just quickly want to mention here is that 
often in perfumery when you see an isolate, so something like geraniol or citronellol, something that is naturally occurring in a, in a natural material, often it's actually a synthetic that's in a perfume because it's too costly to use um, in commercial perfumery production uh, by extracting it from the plant. So it's made in a lab instead. However, we are seeing a lot more natural isolates being available on the market, which make the palette for a natural perfumer a lot wider than just being able to use um, essential oils and absolutes. Now, on the on the topic of absolutes, what is an absolute? So often you will see an oil such as lavender and you will see lavender essential oil and you'll see lavender absolute. What's the difference? So all it is, is a, a difference in extraction process. So an essential oil would be something like a steam distillation or a water distillation, as we said before. But the absolute is actually a solvent extraction. So this is often used for materials that can't be economically distilled. Some of the time they can be, but some of the time um, they can't. So solvent extraction can remove different parts of the plant which are lost in the distillation process. So often you see an essential oil and a solvent extracted absolute of the same plant. So let's say let's talk about lavender. So both have got a slightly different aroma due to the different components being present in the extract. So during that extraction process to make an absolute, the material is gently washed with a solvent such as hexane until as much of the essential oil as possible has been dissolved. Once that material is exhausted, the solvent containing the dissolved essential oil is then distilled. And this process is to remove the solvent, leaving behind the extracted matter, which is known as a concrete. So that concrete is processed further to produce what we know as an absolute for use in perfumery. So you can also um, produce resinous extracts in this way, too. So another natural type of material that is used in perfume making is what's called a CO2 extract. So you'll often see these um, materials. So you might find something like a jasmine CO2 extract, and that is an extraction by carbon dioxide. So it is increasing more in its popularity now due to its advantages over solvent extraction. So carbon dioxide as a solvent is really preferable, preferable in many cases due to its low toxicity and low flammability. So it's also a low temperature, which means it has an advantage over steam distillation as well for a lot of different materials. So have a look out for CO2 extracts. Be careful because some of them are water soluble, which because a lot of them come from the food industry. So if they are water soluble, you obviously can't use them in an oil perfume and they have a little bit of a solubility issue sometimes in, in alcohol. But generally speaking, um, you can use them in perfume making. Um, tinctures. Let's talk about tinctures for a moment quickly. Now, tinctures aren't really used nowadays in commercial perfumery, but you do see tinctures used quite a lot in botanical perfumes, natural perfumes, and some artisan perfumers love creating tinctures from a variety of different plant materials. Generally, it's used more for herbal medicine um, because they don't produce a very strong aroma in a lot of cases, but there are some... Um, materials that work really well as a tincture. So ambergris, which is a solid, we'll talk about this again, like there is so much to talk about here in terms of materials. 
And I don't want to make this episode too long so we can talk about that in, an, in a future episode. But things like ambergris, which is a solid um, material that comes from the a whale, um, but that is actually found washed up on beaches. That is ground into a powder and tinctured and that can be used in fragrance. Um, vanilla pods. So this is something that you can do yourself at home. If you want to get started making a tincture, get some vanilla pods, cut them up um, and, you know, make slices in them and macerate them in some um, perfumers grade alcohol. And over time, that alcohol will take on the scent of the vanilla and you can use that as a base. So those are some of the naturals. So let's talk about synthetic. So as well as materials that aren't found in nature, synthetic aromachemicals can also include reproductions or reconstructions of naturally occurring materials. So often um, when you when you create a when a aromachemical is created, a starting point that is of natural origin is used. So for example, pinene can be used as a starting point for the synthesis of some aromachemicals, as well as fractions of crude oil. So as well as single aromachemicals that are used in perfumery, there are, there are many other materials that we know as speciality bases. Now, these bases are produced by fragrance houses to provide the perfumer with shortcuts to creation. Again, we'll talk about perfume bases in a future episode. So these can be used to replace natural materials in a fragrance where restrictions might apply due to cost or safety. So for example, Rose Absolute is quite restricted in the EU in terms of the amount that you can use in a finished perfume. Obviously, it's also quite costly. So in a lot of cases, instead of a natural rose, a perfumer's base, um, a reconstruction would be used instead by a big fragrance house. So a perfumer might also create their own base, which then creates with which then acts as a building block in a variety of different fragrance compositions. And really what that does is it prevents the need to start from scratch each time you make a perfume. So many of these bases, when I talk about a perfume base or speciality chemical, um, they are reserved solely for the use of perfumers working at the big houses that created them. And it helps to prevent the fragrance being copied by rival companies. These bases or speciality chemicals, um, if they are used only by the fragrance house that created them, are often called captives. And so we won't see them on the open market until many, many, many years later. And so nowadays we can access a lot of these because they were created, you know, decades ago. So um, also it's worth pointing out here that there are going to be many valid ethical reasons as well for using a synthetic material in a fragrance over its natural counterpart. So in the case of animal derived ingredients, so if you go right the way back to the 1800s, for example, natural civet, musk would be used as well as, you know, castorium, lots of different animal um, derived materials. Now, ethically, we wouldn't want to do this today. And so if you do want that kind of note in a perfume, a synthetic would be used instead. Um, and a lot of these materials are really important in lots of different types of fragrance structure. And while they would have been taken from their natural source centuries ago, you know, obviously we don't want to do that nowadays. 
Um, also, um, it's worth mentioning that nowadays with the rise of the production processes that are being used from biotech, which is using the fermentation of a natural feedstock, fragrance materials are changing quite a lot. And the line between natural and synthetic has become a lot more blurred. And we are starting to see a lot more naturally derived aroma chemicals in fragrances as we address the sustainability issues and eco issues. And if you are a natural perfumer, open to materials beyond essential oils and absolutes, there is going to be a much wider palette available. And that is something that we obviously don't have time to dig into um, here today. But if you are interested in the biotech, um, especially white biotech, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the fragrance industry where you've got materials that actually look you know, they look like aroma chemicals, but they actually are naturally derived. And the process that is used to create them is from fermentation. So we're getting a lot of change in the fragrance industry at the moment. So, you know, everything that I talk about here might actually change in a, even, you know, in a year's time, two years time. So it's really exciting time in, in the fragrance industry. And also for those of you wanting to create your own, there's a lot, there's going to be a lot more stuff available. So finally, um, to round off, um, what else is added to a perfume that I haven't mentioned already? So bases. So we talked about perfume as alcohol. We've talked about oil bases. So what other things can be used as a base for a perfume? So obviously perfume goes into a wide variety of different products from candles to reed diffusers to skincare products to shower gels etc but when we're talking about a skin perfume if you don't want to use perfume as alcohol what can you use so i will do a whole episode on perfume as alcohol because i see a lot of people using vodka and that's not really a suitable base for um for an alcohol based perfume and i will talk about that in another episode <laughs> i feel like i'm i keep saying i'm going to talk about that in another episode there is so much stuff that i want to cover for you in this podcast that um yeah i don't want to cram it all into one so what else can be used instead so let's talk about oil bases for a quick second so what are the best oil bases? If you want to make an oil perfume, you want something that is quite stable, that doesn't go rancid too quickly. So I would suggest that you start off using something like a fractionated coconut oil, or you could use jojoba oil as well. So those would be my two oils of choice for an oil-based perfume. The other thing that you can use if you want a drier oil is a silicone. So something like um, dimethicone, which is a synthetic silicone, or you've got a lot nowadays, you've got a lot of natural silicones that are available. Now, um, we haven't got time to go into depth with all of those today. And that's that. I mean, it's a whole course in itself. So I've got a course. Um, if you're interested in making an oil perfume, I do have a course called um, Make a Perfume Oil. I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you're if you're interested in that. But there are many, many different types of bases that you can blend yourself that you can use if you don't want to use a perfume as alcohol. So lots of variety. Um, preservatives versus antioxidants is another thing that I wanted to briefly touch on because people often talk about preserving a perfume. Now, if you are creating a perfume with no water 
in it, so an oil-based perfume, you will need some kind of antioxidant to prevent your oil base going rancid, but you will not need a preservative because there's no water in there. So an antioxidant is is what you want to search for. So something like vitamin E or tocopherol you can use in an oil-based perfume. In an alcohol-based perfume, even if you put a small amount of deionized or distilled water, really we're talking about 5-10%. So the majority of your base is going to be alcohol. Now, alcohol will preserve everything and there is such an insignificant amount of water in there, it's not going to go moldy, bacteria is not going to form. So you do not need a preservative in there. Antioxidants are sometimes used to help um, prolong the life of fragrances that have got lots of aldehydes and citrus oils, things that in contact with oxygen might oxidize and go off a little bit more quickly. So you can use um, antioxidants in your fragrance. Um, Also, you can use a UV filter. So all a UV filter is, is a material that you pop in to um, to help it discolor, uh, to help prevent the discoloration of your fragrance. But often it's just a case of using an amber bottle. So if you create fragrances and put them in amber bottles, then or even something like Miron glass, like, you know, the dark blue glass that you can get, that will help prevent um, UV damage to your fragrance as well. You don't need to add those things, but, you know, a lot of companies do. Do you need to add colour? I don't think so, personally. Commercial fragrances that want a coloured perfume in a clear bottle, they do, but you don't need to. If you do want to add a colour, you can buy um, water-based cosmetic colourants from many of the companies online that you buy the materials for making skincare products. Um, Yeah, finally, water. Do you need to add water? There's a lot of talk online about, oh, you shouldn't add water to your perfume. Now, I was taught... When I worked in um, the fragrance industry many, many years back at a big company called IFF, I was in the applications lab when I first started before I became an evaluator. And I used to make up samples in the lab and I was taught to add a small amount of deionized water to my to the finished fragrance. After I've blended the fragrance with the alcohol, we add add a bit of water. And that has a couple of different um, benefits. It helps the to soften the effect of the alcohol on skin but also it gives the scent a little bit of a lift as well so i add water to my finished fragrances but if you don't want to you don't have to so um this has been a a fairly um chunky episode so i think i want to round it off now there And as always, if there's anything that you want me to clarify, you've got any questions about, just drop me an email to podcast at karengilbert.co.uk. And I hope this has given you a little bit of a grounding in what goes into perfume and what doesn't go into perfume and given you a little bit of inspiration to start yourself. So I will also put in the show notes my getting started guide. So if you want a little bit of a list of what you need to buy to get started, if you want to have a go at making your own perfume, that getting started guide will give you a little bit of a grounding and it will summarize a little bit of what I've been talking about here. So if you have enjoyed this episode, um, please let me know. Please do give me a review. um, Drop me a message. Let me know what you want me to include in future episodes. And um, thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to follow, subscribe, like, etc. And I will see you next time.